Hey, I'm Melly S, the Story Collector, and this is the Courage 1000 Project, the show where we share personal stories of inner courage from all around the world to inspire you to find your own. In this episode, we're talking with the beautiful Chantelle about how to find your voice and in the process own and love who you are. Um, I'm really, really excited about this episode because there are so many similarities between what Chantelle does and I do as well. Now, Chantelle, a bit about Chantelle before we jump into it. She is a confidence mentor who guides women to harness their inner wisdom, combining a rich life experience with decades of learning and practicing the healing arts. Chantelle connects the threads of life that brought you here, where you are now, and takes you to where you want to be, confidently you. She lives with her talented partner in the Perth Hills and can be found online when she's not commuting with nature, wearing colourful scarves or reading a good novel while eating chocolate. My kind of woman. (laughs) And now let's jump into it. Why? Why do you want to share this particular story with everybody? Mary, that's a really good question. And I, I believe And I love what Brené Brown said, that you might not relate to the story, but you relate to the emotions. Yes. And I think it's really, really important. The more we as women share our stories, show that we can overcome them, show that you can still have a really loving, joyful life and still be vulnerable and have your moments. I think it's going to give us women the opportunity to stop using our voices, to start speaking out, particularly as we get older. I'm really, I'm creating a movement called Grand Divine, so I'm 57, and I don't want to go invisible. But until I, until I feel not invisible, how are you not going to see me as invisible? Yes. So this is why I really want to share the story that, you know, don't ever give up. Don't think you're too old, too young, too this, too that. We all have something in us to offer the world, whether it be on that level, purely in our home, in our community, or on the wider scale. doesn't matter. Yes. And there is a big problem with society right now that they're, they're calling it the invisible greys, that yes. you reach a certain point, especially for women, we just become invisible. It's like you don't exist. There's nothing of you in the media, in brochures, there's nothing. And yet you guys are the ones driving Australia. <laughs> That's exactly right, Melian. It's really interesting. I don't know. I have, I read, do, one thing I do read is the Women's Weekly. And in the last one, I loved it, they're uh, over east in Queensland. They're creating a program where young ones live with the older ones. They live there uh, for free, but they have to do certain things. I think it's also in Europe. I love, love, love that. Because I watch my mum, who's 91, in a care facility light up when the younger ones come in. And at the moment, I'm sitting with her. Obviously, I can't sit with her friends because of the distancing. But I learned so much from the Melly. Yes. You know, like how did they handle the wars? How did they handle the depression? Now, I don't want to make light of what we're going through, but, you know, this too will pass. Yep. We will get through this, but we are going through it. And right now it is hard. Yeah. And if we're not re- referring to the past generations who have been through some similar hardship, getting their stories, we're not going to be able to work our way through it with ease and grace either. So it is exactly a right. full circle moment where we get to collect the stories of the past again and use that knowledge. So let's go exactly. to your story. Where okay. did your story start? 
well, you know, how long's a piece of string, as they said, where is it most poignant, you know? Um, I think I'll start really right from word go, from birth. Um, unfortunately, my mother and father, uh, my father was a, um, how should I put this, a violent man. Okay. And um, even though we lived well and we had a good life, we actually had emotionally a very distressing life. So I think from word go, only looking now back, uh, it was really all the way through. We struggled. We, I was born in Australia. My father's French, mum's Australian English, but then we moved to Switzerland when I was young. In those days, you didn't travel. So no, not, not only was I not safe at home, I wasn't safe in this new environment. We were taken out of everything we knew, new language, new school, new way of being, all that sort of stuff. Yet to our family and friends at home, we had the privileged life. We had this amazing life. But what they didn't realise was that at home, it was not that at all. Yeah. Then at the age of 16, um, a bit when I finally settled there, uh, my English was still vaguely there, we moved to England. And then again, I was out of my comfort zone. Again, it, not knowing how to be whatever we were considered. I was a foreigner in Switzerland. I was a foreigner in England. So it created all these things around me. So there was a positive in that, that I became hugely independent and very strong in that and adventurous and things like that. So when I look back, that really shaped who I am. Um, I really and never felt safe. No, no. And that is why when we were doing before we uh, came on the live, I don't feel safe at the moment because it's triggered me. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel safe. So I feel safe in my home. And why I also don't feel safe was we realised only years later when my father died unexpectedly when I was 36, um, I triggered into PTSD then. But we didn't know. Wow. We, I thought it was grief. Because when he was alive, I didn't want him alive. When he was dead, it was like, excuse me. How dare you die? <laughs> you know, because he took yep. me into this whole new world. Because when you die, what I've learned is you transition from one energy to another, but you transition to this pure love. And dad came back to me as pure love. And I haven't shared this with many people yet because I'm still trying to get my head around how do I put words to this. Yep. And I was like, well, dad, why couldn't you have given that to me in life? Why only in death? Yes. So then dealt with all that sort of stuff. Then I had a car accident about 10 years later. So it's about 11 years ago now. And then, of course, that's when I was diagnosed. But even then, when I went back many years later, because then I had menopause as well. So then when I went back uh, quite a few years later to, because I thought I was all right, ladies, you know, we do this. We're all right. We become the superwoman again. Fell in a heap. That's when I got diagnosed. We, we looked back at this is when it started. So that's a long and time to be dealing with it without any help or strategies or anything. How did you cope through that time? You know what? When you look back, I have no idea. I actually have no idea how I coped. I just kept pushing because that was my personality because I was the eldest in the home yeah. and we are perfectionists. I'm also Capricorn. So when you think of all these things, right, and you survived. You survived because you had to go and learn the language. You survived because you had to cope at home. You, you just went into survival. So I realised, and I put on this lovely persona. You know, I was a gregarious one because in a way I was gregarious and I am. Um, so me going the other way after the car accident was quite a shock So I didn't know how to deal with that either. But I was the out there one. I was the adventurous one. I was the one that, um, you know, was social. And um, I've lost complete track because that's called menopausal moments. What was I saying, Nelly? <laughs> and this is part of this is part of not only stress but menopause, girls. This is, and I think from what I gather, because I never had a child, baby brain. 
How did I cope? That's right. How did I cope? Um, I just think you just you just cope because you don't know any different. You don't know any different. It becomes yeah. normal. Becomes yeah. normal. And if you've experienced that since birth, that feeling of unsafe, no matter where you are, it does just become normal for you that this is my life. Survival is my life. Exactly right. Exactly right. And you don't realise you, you are actually operating from a low level or high level, depending where you're at, fear. I didn't realise that. because I never thought I was fearful or anxious in the sense of when I, lived my, when I look back. Yeah. But now over the last while, I realised that I was really was based, wasn't a love-based uh, life. It was a lot of fear-based life. But I didn't get that I was in fear because I just kept doing. I travelled the world. I came back to Australia to, to see what my family was like all over these years. Then I went back to Europe. I went from London to Zurich by car. You know, I did all these things. But you see, I realised it was more, I was driven, but it was fear-based driven. Yes. Yeah. You know, that kept me going. Yeah. And really, if that fear is driving you, then you are running. You are running exactly. from the cause more than anything else. Exactly right. And even though I was doing a lot of therapy and all sorts of different therapies, yes, you don't realise that you are still running. That's exactly right. Because, again, on the front, you know, I look good, I dress well, I have an accent, I spoke languages. You know, so I thought, well, there can't be anything wrong with me. Yeah. You know? Wow. So what was the pinnacle moment? Did you say it was the car crash? That was the moment yes. you got the diagnosis? Yes. Yes. How did you move uh, that, from there? Ooh, looking back now with great, great difficulty. Oh, my God. I, I still cry sometimes to realise. So I'll go back a little bit to come back to that. After yeah. Dad died, about seven years. Also, what happens is your adrenals. My adrenals ran out. Uh, I ended up having a complete and utter breakdown. Uh, because I kept being driven and I kept going and I ended up in hospital, no idea who I was, my name, I couldn't sign the documents, nothing, nothing. Oh. But that didn't stop me. That didn't stop me, lady. So you still didn't learn lady. your lesson? <laughs> I still didn't learn because I, I, was, I was a massage practitioner at the time. I was already healing then. And a very good friend of mine who happened to be my therapist phoned me up in hospital and said, what are you, it's 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I said, I've got to get out of here because I've got 20 clients next week. She turned and I said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Give me every person's name. I'm going to phone them and you're not going back to work. You see, I was still driven. I couldn't yeah. let anyone else down. So yeah. I'm saying that too. So by the time I had the car accident, I was already running on, on pretty much empty. Yeah. So the car accident, then that ticked me. So if I had lost my sense of self through my dad's death being a daughter and being part orphan as they say yeah when I had the courage I lost all of me yeah all of me you were empty yeah empty turned upside down had no clue who I was even more so it was just like and the accident in the scheme of things a guy came back of me uh, wrote my car but I didn't realize I had then severe whiplash because whiplash is so fast yeah. And I didn't get it. And you go into shock and you go into overdrive and you don't feel the pain. And um, so you don't really, so I didn't have any obvious major, major injuries or anything like that. So Ken, you minimize it. We always minimize. Yeah. You know, we want to keep going, but it wasn't that bad. Well, it triggered me for years. Wow. Mm. Absolutely. Years. I had the most, Oh, God, it's still, I, 
horrendous, horrendous um, whiplash yeah. that triggered into the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, all the old childhood memories, nightmares, confusion, menopause, hot sweats, you name it, it was all legal stuff, um, family stuff. Uh, trying to keep businesses running, uh, as you can feel, that, that was all this. It's all this. Yep. So it was kind of like the, you needed a physical shake yes. to trigger all this stuff to be released. Exactly right. And at the time, I didn't want to hear it, didn't hear it, couldn't hear it, had no clue. Yeah. So it's about, I fortunately had a beautiful partner, I'd only known him uh, a few years, uh, we'd only it was on the day we we're celebrating two years living up in the hills and in our beautiful home. Fortunately, he never ever Melly gave up on me. Never, oh, how beautiful! Gave up on me. Yeah, he looking back now when we talked about things recently because he had his own scare with something. He actually didn't. He admit he didn't quite get what was happening, but didn't matter. He just accepted me for who I am and who I was. Well, that's beautiful. And to have yeah. someone who is so strong, he provided that safety for you. Exactly you right. Exactly right. And he gave me the space to take as long as I needed to heal and it took way longer than I expected. Yeah. Well, you had a lifetime of things to unravel, so no wonder it took a while. Yep, that's right. And you think you deal with things, you know, we always talk about the onion. You go, yeah, 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 I know about the onion. No, don't know. But I tell you what, there's that onion. There's that onion. Yes. Yep. Because each, each trauma, if you want to call it that, each trigger gets built on top of another one. So every time you do have a little thing that triggers you, you go, oh, actually, here's another one. That triggers another yes. one. And it's just this big ripple effect. And you do realize your life has been built on all these different triggers. Yep, that's exactly right. And then you've got to unlayer, unlayer, unlayer. Yeah. And, you know, let go of top people that, you you know, you, there's a loyalty, particularly to family. You know, that's based on the, the base chakra about your tribe and your family can't be disloyal. You feel guilt. You know, so all these things come into it as well. And then you realise who your family are or your friends are in times like this. And there's a whole added sense of grief and sadness, you know, on top of it. So it's layer upon layer upon layer. Yet somehow... Many, we are very resilient human beings. We don't realise how strong and resilient we are and uh, might not feel like it, like, you know, like at the moment I'm going through a bit of anxiety again the last couple of days, um, which took me by surprise. And initially I always get a little bit harsh on myself. I should know better. Yeah. But I'm resilient. I now have the tools, my sacred tools that I always, always refer to, always go back to. Yeah. And I need reminders. I phoned a friend yesterday, you know, and she reminded me, remember to do this. We always need yes. reminders. And isn't it funny how when we experience it again, everything we've learned seems to be forgotten. It's yes. like we block yes. ourselves to our own knowledge and then we get to rediscover yeah. it all over again. Yeah. Yes. You're right. And I think what happens is what I realise now is exactly that. And I realise how quickly I can go back into where I need to be. Because when I'd already been working with Reiki for many, many years, um, then massage many, many years. Massage came after dad died, uh, uh, not massage, so meditation and Reiki was before. So I already had those tools in my toolbox, thank goodness. Yeah. And this is why I do what I do, because I want to teach people. There's no point when you're in trauma or in drama or whatever it is, you have no capacity to learn anything new other than dealing with what's going on. Yes. So 
it's get whatever you need in your toolbox, how to support yourself before. Like you go along, nothing's going to happen to me and then something does. Because uh, just over three years ago, my partner had um, a really unexpected diagnosis. We're lucky he's alive. And that sent us into, oh, my God, I can't tell you. For 10 weeks, we were in this bubble of absolute abject fear. Yeah. But we both had meditation. We both had, I had the Reiki to support him myself. We had our sacred spaces. We were able to talk. We had the psychologist. We had everything already in place, Melly, to support us. Beautiful. Beautiful. And no. that would have been difficult because that your safety, that base level of safety was getting rocky. Exactly right. It was rocky because suddenly here you are faced with potential death. We are, he had both his carotid arteries 90% blocked. We had no idea. His health is good. We had no idea. It was totally out. How could that, how could that have happened? Yeah. And basically they said to us, you're lucky he hasn't had a major stroke or he hasn't dropped dead. Wow. And then you're faced again with, oh my God, what does love mean? What does this person mean? Um, yep. Yes, he can annoy the hell out of me. Apparently <laughs> I can him too, but you know, <laughs> you know, and suddenly you're faced with this. How do we handle this together? Now, fortunately, I'd already done a lot of tapping by then and was doing my counselling work and also my own, um, from my own psych psychology um, work done on me, yeah. I was learning to understand and how to work in circles was how to accept him because his reality, Melly, was so different to mine. Yes, yeah. You know, he, he thought his things Exactly right, exactly right. So how do we come together? to be able to support each other when he's going, oh, my God, my body let me down because he's been very aware of his body. And I'm going, oh, thank God you're alive. Can't you see that? You know, yeah. Yeah. and I won't say the word that I used, B, <laughs> A. <laughs> you know, so we had to, how could I hold him in that space? Not to, but occasionally I didn't, obviously, a human being, I would snap at him. Yeah. You know. Um, and to be in the relationship where you're tolerant of the fact that you can be that way for each other yes. like that's just beautiful yeah it is thank you Melly, and i really thank you for honoring that that's why i'm honoring it here because again when you go through life when you start honoring yourself more when you start going through these experiences and you know you can have a small experience that can throw you don't just think because i've had these big things because we are so easy we so easily compare ourselves to others oh but yours was worse than mine mine is not as bad as that we learn how to minimize our own experiences yes and as I said in the beginning, which are what I love about Brené Brown, is you don't have to understand the story, have the same story, understand the story or the experience. It's the emotions. Yes. At some point, we've all gone through grief, sadness, anger, joy, love in our lives. Yes. Yeah. And that is when you find that in yourself, you are more able to be not judgmental of other people and as yourself. But ours to deal with ourselves is always the hardest, you know? Yeah. And that's why this project exists because mm. others sharing their stories of courage are going to help you recognize it within yourself. So then you exactly. can start taking courageous steps in your own life. So exactly there's a resonance right. in others' stories. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's why I loved when Tony approached me, it was like, Oh, I'm so excited to be part of this for that reason, because we, 
all, even though we might not all listen to the interviews and that, but we all hold, we're holding this beautiful vibrational energy with you. I mean, you, you're the linchpin, you, you're that, and all we're building these beautiful coloured threads coming in. And that then has that beautiful rippling effect, you know. And I wanted to come back to the small things. I can remember when I was at my worst after the accident, I couldn't get out of bed. And, and this for me was completely unusual. And I remember I could get out of bed, vaguely have a shower. So I went from PJs to a shower to my comfortables to the couch. And I had a life coach at the time through my business. And I couldn't even, I didn't even want to talk to her. It was 8.30 in the morning. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't do this. Thank God it was over the phone. And she turned around and said to me, and I let her, I really want you to hear this. She said, that's a win. We need to celebrate that. I went, what do you mean? She said, you did something towards your recovery. It was small now for you to, looking back now, it was small, but it was big, Melly. It was big. Do you think that was the pinnacle of courage for you, just taking that first step? Exactly right. That's exactly right. Didn't know it at the time. Didn't get it. But then what that, then I've always remembered, then you just build on. you. Those are the little steps that you build on. Then you might go back and think, oh, my God, oh, my God, I've gone back again. Then you start building because you've now got a different level. You know that you can get out of bed in, in this example. I knew I could get out of bed. Then I might get back in the car, had to go back to where the accident was. <sighs> My partner, the psychologist said, get your partner to drive you first. And even before, well before I got there, I hyperventilated. I went into massive panic. And it took me quite a while to go back there and then to go on my own. But we did it in steps. Yes. Because that is what loving kindness is all about. Yeah. So would you say that's your definition of courage then, that it is just building on those blocks one after the other? Exactly right. Because I wanted it all done now. Actually, no, yesterday. <laughs> I hear you. you know? Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of others could. Yeah, exactly right. So looking back now, and if I can give sage advice or be, you know, the, old, the older. Yes, please. Yes, it is. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, please give it. We want sage advice. <laughs> yes. It is looking back now, over, also over the years, and particularly this part, it is step by step and also your own journey. I can remember someone saying to me, uh, I can't remember who it was, thank goodness, in a way, because would, I would have said something to them. Two years after dad died, I said, oh, he's still breathing. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And at the time, I didn't get that. Yeah, I didn't get that it's okay to still grieve. It's okay to take your time. I really want you to hear this. It's your journey, your emotions, your time. That's you know? beautiful. And to have the courage to own that, that, yes, I am still grieving. Like, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, coming back to what you say, courage for me is therefore confidence and therefore love and therefore kindness and therefore acceptance is it's one step at a time. And for today, it's about really coming back. That's something you learn in um, the 12-step program. We used to go to Al-Anon. It's day at a time. And when I was at my worst, and particularly when I was with the violent, violent pains in my head, it became breath by breath by breath. Because right in that moment, so if you take a breath right now, you're neither in the past nor the future. You're right here. Right now, I'm okay. Right now, yeah. I'm okay. And that is what got me through the horrendous nights, night after night of the violence in the bathroom was my best friend. You know, it was just, yeah, that got me through. 
So sometimes you've got to go, as I said, right down to breath. But there, those building blocks, building blocks, building blocks. And it was interesting because when it first happened, I knew instinctively no Reiki, no meditation, no tapping. Because now I've learned since that often when you're in extreme trauma, they can actually make it worse. So I want people to know that sometimes it's not right to use it in trauma. You need to get support with that. Then when I was ready, I also instinctively knew I could bring it back in to my life. So your intuition was very strong then. It was. And again, looking back, I didn't realise because I couldn't understand why for a couple of years I couldn't touch myself, I, you know, with the Reiki hands. I just couldn't do it. Now I know why. But when the intuition started coming back, because what I had to do to get me out the door, because I got social phobia, phobia, agoraphobia, you know, all that, I would lie on my bed at least half an hour before I went. I'd put my Reiki hands on my um, adrenals or my, um, what do you call it? Sorry, sac- uh, sorry, solar plexus chakra, which is about confidence and willpower. And because I, my body was in such pain, I had this little tiny light, little flame that I saw in my belly. That was the only place I had no pain. So what I'd do is I'd focus all my attention and energy Reiki meditation all into that one little spot yeah. And then I'll just breathe through and I'll start visualizing getting to where I needed to go. I'm still trying to run a business. And then visualize coming back. And then eventually that flame would grow. That would grow as the confidence grew, as I had less pain. And then there was more joy. Then there was more energy. And then that just became, you know, just grew and grew. That's this little spot. So for me, it was, as I said, in my belly where I went. Mm. that's beautiful it's such a beautiful imagery to have too that when you are feeling powerless to just focus on your solar plexus and that tiny little spark and then focus on that growing as much as possible yes that's right and that's why i think coming back to what you're saying about your project sharing because we share our techniques you know you might go oh yes i love to do that one oh i like that but i want to do it this way because again remember it's not but not comparing you've got to do what's right for you yes it's your healing your journey your story and you own that we need to own this i didn't own myself as a woman now as the elder as my story for a long time because we're taught to be something else yes yes I love that. I love that. That's such a very powerful statement too, that we are taught to be somebody else and that survival instinct kicks in. So we've got to wear that mask just to survive. But we get to a point where we've got to have the courage to take that mask off and be ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And again, this comes back to Brandy Brown, vulnerability. That is what often these masks, not often, I would say most of the time, these masks are protecting this beautiful vulnerable side and that vulnerability is our feminine our our nurturing soothing beautiful side of us the spiritual side that we have lost sight of because of the doing the giving needing to be there as women in the context so to be vulnerable and take that mask off is too scary because who would i be i found who am i going to be i didn't know who i was Melly. i didn't understand i was this incredible beautiful gorgeous woman I had no idea yeah because it is, it's very vulnerable. You question your own identity, your own place in the world, and really the place in your body. Like, should I even exactly. be in this body? Like, it's a very spiritual exactly. thing. Exactly, exactly. And so many of, I mean, my body was telling me before I had the breakdown that I wasn't well. And now, interestingly enough, at that point, um, I wasn't partnered or married and I hadn't had children, which was my big, big desire. 
And I'd actually booked to go and see a sperm donor. Um, so I thought, if I don't do it now, my early 40s, when I will, when will I? Anyhow, 10 days beforehand, I ended up violently ill. And that's when I ended up with a breakdown. Now, see, I hadn't been listening to my body. Now, when I finally went and had uh, my hormones checked with a, a, a GP, that an Indian GP who, who specialised in this, I had no progesterone anyhow. So I would have gone through all this through the medical profession because I didn't pick that up. I would have gone through all this trauma because he said I could have got pregnant, but I would never have held it, the baby. Yes. So I would have gone through all this. Now, in a way, my body had to stop me totally in my track so I didn't go down that path. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't listen because I kept driving my body. I kept driving. I kept driving. So if one thing you get from this there is you're courageous, but please, please, let's start listening to our beautiful bodies, our temples. I love it. I love it. Now, just mm. to sum everything up, because we have spoken about lots of different things today, <laughs> what is courage to you? How do you define it? Wow. That's a big question. Now, big question. Do you know what I would say? Courage is simply being, having the, being me, being yourself. Beautiful. That, that is actually it. Yeah. Just seeing this, seeing you, that's all you need to be is be yourself. Do you feel you are destined to make an impact in this world, but are struggling to find the courage to share your story? Jump over to melies.com.au for free training, presentations and videos, or simply stay tuned for the next episode of the Courage 1000 Project.